Hello and welcome to Raising the Bar. I am your host, Dara Mulcahy, and today I am joined by my very good friend, Arthur Lynch. How are you, Arthur? I'm not doing too badly, Dara. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me today. Um, you're keeping safe and sound during these strange times anyway. Yeah, not doing too badly. Uh, the nature of my work means that I can do it basically all from my laptop anyway. So the fact that I'm stuck at home, uh, it's probably affecting me less than it is others. And I'm not, I'm not the most uh, extroverted individual either. So the fact that I have to stay at home and not meet people, uh, it's, it's probably taking less of a toll on me than it would be others um, who, who, who are more craving of that kind of social interaction. Um, I'm fine once I can sort of chat to people over the phone and that sort of thing, I'm, I'm pretty content. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking you would, uh, wouldn't be too put out by the whole social isolation type thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can adapt. I can adapt. <laughs> and it looks by the by the sounds of Leo's uh, speech or chat last night, it looks like we're going to be uh, in this scenario for the for the next month or two anyway. Especially with mm. um, myself and yourself, our our realm of health and fitness, it definitely looks like at least a month, if not more. Um, yeah. So. So yeah, I'll, I'll uh, we'll get going after. And today today we're going to chat about resistance training for health that was the idea behind today's uh, podcast mm -hmm. so we're on episode number three and uh as i went through last week that we wanted to kind of have our podcast focus around the idea of healthy happier or stronger or in some cases all three so i think resistance training for a like, general population or health will kind of fall into that bracket of of ticking all three boxes mm -hmm. and um and I thought to myself, who, who better to get on than someone who's got a really good background in both the practical, um, both from a coaching and a uh, individual performing point of view, but also a educational and academic point of view um, as yourself, actor. So you were the, the obvious choice. <laughs> uh, I think it's... Oh, thank you. I think it's actually rare in Ireland for someone to be, and I'll let you explain your own background in a second, but for someone to be, to walk the walk and have the, the knowledge or the, the education behind it as well. It seems to be much more common in, in like some Americans one where you've high level competitors, but also those in a high level of education as well. So no, brilliant to have you on and thank you very much for giving up your time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so what we want to go through today, as I said, we want to look at just making resistance training really simple again for people. I know myself and I'm probably as other coaches out there and, and people in that realm, reading more and more advanced texts and content and information all the time. So I wanted to bring it back a touch and we want to just maybe to clarify resistance training, strength training, weights training. It, it all seems similar, but is there any differences? Um, for someone just starting off, where where do they start basically with regards like recommendations around how much to do, what to do, and so on and so forth? And then the kind of the third section I want we want to go through is uh, debunking of some myths or some terms or common perceptions that people have. And I know Arthur loves debunking myths and <laughs> writing some wrong. So we have some and we have some ones that are really really common they could be looked at from simply like a frequently asked question section of every gym owner um, in the country. Okay. So we have three or four kind of statements or perceptions that unless you were educated, otherwise you would, you know, it, it would be quite common to think that they were right. 
Okay. So without further ado, um, Arthur, would you like to give maybe a quick background on yourself from both uh, an education point of view, maybe a coaching point of view, and maybe what you do uh, training-wise, just to give anyone listening a bit of context to who exactly you are. Sure, no problem. So, yeah, obviously my, my name is Arthur Lynch. Uh, in terms of education, I have a degree in sport and exercise sciences uh, from the University of Limerick. Uh, currently pursuing my PhD in sport and exercise sciences. It, it's actually starting to look like I might actually finish it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and uh, that's, that's from the University of Limerick. Um, my own sort of training background, uh, I would have started off playing rugby as a teenager, then transitioned over into just sort of weight training full-time for a little while. Then I dabbled in a bit of bodybuilding for a couple of years, and I suppose got sick of that, and then ventured into powerlifting eventually, and that's where I am however many years later, still here. Uh, and on, on the coaching front then, um, predominantly powerlifters that I work with in addition to personal training uh, of more general population clients uh, some athletes here and there but they tend to be um, less frequently because uh, you know if you're um, I suppose if you're involved in some kind of sport nowadays uh, SNC is is better than it used to be so if you're involved in some sort of sporting organization there's more often than not, there's some sort of SNC um, associated with that. You know, there might be a, an SNC coach there, or there might be a, a gym that's provided for the athletes. Uh, just thinking off, off the top of my head, um, across various different sports. So I mean, the the need to outsource it isn't uh, what it what it maybe used to be. Um, what what was the other part of that question? Um, that was predominantly it, I think. Um, yeah. Just yeah, just a general check for people to get an idea of of who exactly you are. Um, Arthur is being very modest here, by the way, by saying he just pursues powerlifting. Arthur has been to numerous world championships and European championships, and he isn't just a, a partaker in, in powerlifting. He's a, a highly competitive powerlifter. Um, <laughs> he's being modest there for anyone listening. <laughs> right. um, Thank you. The, Thank you for that. <laughs> and Arthur was uh, the first man I came into contact with when I started off my powerlifting journey. Those three or yeah, three years ago, I sent him a message on a September, October, or whatever it was, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that that evening. I was like uh, to kind of set the scene for people. So I mean, I was coaching in the gym that evening, and there was a. It was pretty busy, like there was a group in and they were kind of training away. So I was trying to supervise as much as I could. And then you arrived in and obviously having never met you before, I, I, I didn't quite know initially how to take you. And then you started training away and I, you know, it became apparent to me that you were quite strong and had a lot of potential right away. But, uh, you know, in the same breath, I was thinking to myself, this guy's fucking nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> And not not in a bad way, but uh, this guy's this guy's a bit mad, you know. Um, and I I think my suspicions were correct, but it was it was all in a in a good way, and um, you know it, it's developed into the 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 relationship that that you and I now have, and um, it's something that I I really cherish, and it's been it's 
been a lot of fun. Yeah, it sure has. It sure has. And I can actually remember that first night I wore a pair of orange lifting shoes deadlifting. <laughs> and for yeah. love nor money, I wasn't taking those orange lifting shoes off. <laughs> I wore them doing every part of training. <laughs> um, I can remember it and they're great times. And yeah, hopefully we'll get back to a, a circumstance or a situation whereby we can all train in a group environment again because there is great banter when it comes to that kind of stuff mm -hmm. good slag in the mix mix train and fly by yeah i i should also mention um or else i'll get absolutely crucified if i don't that uh, i i'm a coach at, at city gym limerick <laughs> uh and uh although i don't do as much coaching as i used to nowadays uh, most of it's it's sort of online um that's where if i am coaching that's where that's where i take clients uh, the place is obviously locked up at the moment, but under normal circumstances, that's where I, um, that's where I operate out of, and I've been there since since the the day that they opened their doors, um, and uh, that's obviously how you came to 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 find me as well, Dara. Was through City Gym. Yeah, City Gym is is an amazing place for anyone in the Limerick area, for a place to grow. And I've seen, you know, I've chatted to Garbot and yourself to grow from, you know, the the sheer you know the base level to the, the mm. place it is now um and you know, on a day-to-day -day running but especially on competition day the environment the it's almost electric inside there you know what i mean mm. and as a fellow business owner i guess starting off where gar did a couple of years ago um you can you know there's great inspiration in a place like that like you know they can create something an environment where it's so enjoyable to train but i can imagine from a coaching point of view it's also quite enjoyable you'd be looking forward going into coaching for sure yeah really i miss the place at the moment to be honest with you you know um because there is that there is that atmosphere and that that energy about the place even just when you set in uh set foot in the door you know it's uh it's a special place to be yeah sure is sure is so anyone in the in the limerick area do not hesitate to get in touch with the lads when all this is all this is said and done so We'll get started because myself and Arthur could probably ramble here for the next hour or two and, <laughs> and not talk about anything we were meant to talk about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like I said, today Arthur and for everyone listening, we wanted to bring some clarity and bring some simplicity back to resistance training. Okay, So one of the things that I see, um, and I'm a coach, is maybe this lack of clarity around, is it resistance training? Mm. Is it strength training? Is it weight training? Is there any difference? Or am I just complicating something in my head? Uh, it's kind of a bit of both. Um, because I, so I was trying to think of what would be the best way to, uh, I suppose, convey this. Um, so if you think of the three terms that you mentioned, so resistance training, strength training, and weight training, uh, you could consider all strength training and all weight training as a form of resistance training, but you may not necessarily consider all forms of resistance training to be strength training or, or weight training. And uh, just to give you a, a little sort of anecdotal story, um, one of my own uh, colleagues at the University of Limerick, when he was sitting his, uh, his oral examination for his PhD, so like, for those that wouldn't be familiar, there's a few stages in, in getting to, you know, becoming a, a PhD do doctor of philosophy. Um, one of them being that you submit your, your thesis and the other one is that you sit an oral examination with 
uh, basically with peer reviewers. So there would be a, an internal examiner from sort of within your own department uh, and an, an external examiner from, from outside your department that they examine you on your thesis and on the, the body work that you've created. But anyway, one of the uh, queries that the external examiner had for him was around resistance training. And in my colleague's eyes, um, what he felt was resistance training was very clear. It was, you know, uh, akin to regular strength training, uh, you know, with weights, with barbells, with dumbbells, that kind of thing. Um, but the examiner queried, well, you know, if it's resistance training, well, then wouldn't something like swimming be considered resistance training because you're providing a resistance with the water? Um, and so he had to clarify around what he actually meant. And I suppose the term he maybe should have adopted would be uh, progressive weight training or progressive strength training. That's a little bit clearer and a little bit easier to understand if you're not entirely familiar with the terms. So that kind of said two things to me. Number one, it says, well, for one, you're not wrong in, in wanting to query the question, uh, Dara, as to if there's a distinction between those terms. Um, and it also said to me that even people at the, the academic level are confused by this. So there's a there's probably a need for clarity in some sort of distinction or operationally defining those terms. So I suppose when you're thinking of resistance training, that is basically training with anything that provides some sort of a resistance. That can come from weights. That can come from uh, resistance bands. It can come from your body weight. You know, so if you're thinking things like push-ups, pull-ups bodyweight squats, bodyweight lunges, uh, Nordic hamstring curls, these types of exercises. So they're not necessarily, they don't have to be easy just because they're only bodyweight. I mean, depending on someone's context, a bodyweight squat could be quite challenging. So th that in effect is, perform is uh, providing a resistance. Um, as I said, water could be considered a resistance. Um, wind could be considered a resistance. Um, I'm going down a, a rabbit hole that's probably not necessary right now but just to just to illustrate the point then if we think of strength training sort of similar it's anything that is providing a stimulus uh, to make you stronger then it just depends on the the level that the individual is at so if we take an example of a bodyweight squat for someone like yourself dara or for a trained powerlifter a bodyweight squat the load is going to be too light for it to provide a resistance uh, to cause a response within the body that sort of says, oh, this is a novel stimulus that we're not used to and we need to adapt to in order to uh, prepare us to be able to deal with again in the future. You know, the, the load is just too low. But if someone's untrained or if they haven't trained in a long time or maybe if they're a little bit overweight, those kind of things, a bodyweight squat could actually be quite challenging for them. And it could be enough to provide a stimulus to the body to disrupt the normal, uh, well, the term is homeostasis or the, the, the constant state of the, the body's sort of normal physiology. Um, disrupt that, cause a response to that. And then, you know, from that, that you adapt and you get to the point where a body weight squat is no longer challenging enough to to cause that response that, that that leads to an adaptation and you have to 
circumvent that then by adding more load in the form of something like resistance bands, holding weights, a barbell, uh, that kind of thing. Then when we talk about weight training, it's a, uh, if you like, a subgroup of, or a subcategory of uh, resistance training where we're using things like barbells, dumbbells, uh, cable machines, things like that to provide a resistance that is going to make us stronger. And, uh, you know, depending on how you're training, what your goals are, a hypertrophic stimulus. So that's a stimulus to the body to increase um, the size of your muscles. Um, it can also be a potent fat loss stimulus because it burns calories. And by uh, stimulating your muscle to, to grow, that is obviously a, an energy expensive process so it requires energy to to build muscle and that can then uh you know that can take energy away from body fat stores um so does that make sense yeah that's that's perfect that 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 that, that is really simplified it now it's almost like they're, tri they're like resistance is the over the overall and then strength mm. is just like one tier down and weights one tier below that almost is another way of looking at it. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose how I'm looking at it is so, yeah, as you, as you say, like resistance training is on the top strength training, which doesn't necessarily mean it has to be weights as such. And then weight training could be a branch of strength training, which is okay. exclusively weights. So, you know, barbells, dumbbells, cable machines, those kinds of things. No, that makes, that's really good. That's, that simplifies it for me. And I guess for most people, they'll, they'll want to, they're looking for a stimulus that's going to make them improve. So probably mm. starting at the top, if you're very general and new to the, to the whole training regime um, is the best place. And then you might decide over time that you prefer using a barbell and you might venture down the strength training and the weight training avenue. Mm. But you know, similarly, you might branch down to a different avenue well, but, you know, so, so I know some people, um, they really pursue body weight resistance training and that's, that's a different, that's a different, um, like patch you can take, but it's, mm. as you said, it's, it's still adequate, um, strength training or sorry, it's adequate resistance training. It's just in a different format. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I suppose the, at the risk of making this a little bit more complicated than it needs to, but it really does depend on the individual and their goals. So like to give you the example I gave earlier on about a bodyweight squat and how that could be a strong stimulus for one person and uh, basically a nothing stimulus for someone else. If you took something like a push-up and a bench press, right? For one individual, a push-up could be a pretty decent stimulus. You know, they're moving about 60% of their body weight uh, and that could be, quite challenging for them for someone else it might be more than they're capable of doing so a regression for them might be something like a 20 kilo barbell uh, that they they push off a bench you know a very light bench press so in actual fact i think like the way i was describing it earlier on it was almost like weight training is like a progression from more general strength training that that's not necessarily the case and it's not a case of like um you know, depending on where someone's level is at, we might select strength training versus weight training uh, for them. It, it, it doesn't quite work like that. It just depends on the individual. 
their goals, their constraints, their training history, that kind of thing. And we select the right tool for uh, the more appropriate tool for, for the level they're at and where they're looking to go to. Yeah, that's perfect, Arthur. That, that, that's really good. That's really good. And people can get, I guess, because there's so many terms floating around, but essentially, mm. if, if you were looking to start, we'll just say weights training, and people were floating in the mm. word strength and floating in the word resistance, they wouldn't yeah. necessarily be wrong as such. They're looking to, no. to create such a stimulus and adaptation within the body. But so just because they use two different terms, it, it's okay. It's, it's the same idea. We're still trying to create that stimulus within the body so that we can improve from whatever, whatever aspect we're looking to do. No, that makes, that makes really good sense. And yeah, that's brilliant. Anything else you want to add in on that? Or I was going to push on to just a slightly different avenue off that. Uh, I pr- probably risk just making it more, more confusing <laughs> and complicated than it needs to be. Uh, I think that covers us a lot for, for now anyway. I actually think you simplified it very well. Um, for, I think, strength training, resistance training, that can be made extremely complicated. And as you were saying, with the definition of resistance training, you could, you could go down so many rabbit holes and mm. pick all sorts of geography to act as resistance. But again, as long as you've got the overriding um, concept to it, it's all good. It's all good. So, so now that we've kind of defined um, what exactly is we're looking to, to do, okay, for mm-hmm. someone looking for, say, just to get started, um, and their, their, main, their main purpose of starting a resistance program is just to be healthy. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm thinking is, is resistance training the best modality to use or a combination we'd say maybe aerobic um, endurance or anaerobic endurance. Where does resistance training fit in basically in the context of all the different forms of training for somebody to use, particularly somebody starting off their, let's say a healthier life, a more exercise Mm. conscious life. Well, without question, if their goal was to maximize their health, a combination would be the way forward because there are, uh, distinct and complementary benefits from doing both resistance training and aerobic or uh, cardiovascular type training. Um, but it really just depends on where they are when they're starting out. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. So let's say if someone was a complete couch potato for many, many years and they have some health scare or their doctor tells them, look, you've got to start exercising, buddy, or you're going to be dead in two years. Um, the, 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 the thing that you've got to be careful of is kind of biting off more than you can chew right away. So like anything, the best thing, the best advice I can give is make a small manageable uh, change that, that would be sustainable for you and make that a habit for you. And then once you've kind of got to grips with you know, managing that, whatever it is in terms of the intensity of it, the modality, the frequency, uh, the duration, whatever. And then once you've kind of got a hang of that, look to maybe add on to that. Um, the, the recommendations for, um, for exercise uh, for overall general health, I think the minimum is something like, a, it's like 150 minutes per week or something along those lines. I should have checked it up before we started. Um, uh, of sort of moderate intensity. Now, 
within that you should probably have about two days, two to three days a week of resistance training and make up the rest with, uh, with cardiovascular work. And that can be walking, jogging, cycling, swimming. It really depends on your level starting out, um, what you're capable of doing. So for instance, if I decided I wanted to improve my cardiovascular endurance, I would not start with swimming or I would drown. Um, <laughs> uh, and what you like doing as well. So for someone else, they might, might not like jogging, but they might really enjoy swimming. So that's something that they like. And as a result, they're more likely to stick to it. So you'd be advocating that. Now, as the discussion is more so centered around resistance training, um, we'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll focus more on that, but I don't want to, I suppose, downplay it, downplay the role of cardiovascular training because that can be very beneficial for your health as well. Um, and it could be for a lot of people just as simple as going out for a, for a brisk walk and you can get a lot of benefits just by doing that. Um, particularly for mental health as well. Um, then on the resistance training side of things, uh, in terms of what it can do for you, obviously increase strength, maintain or increase muscle mass, depending on your individual uh, situation. So for instance, if you've never weight trained before and you've no exercise background whatsoever, it will add a substantial amount of, of muscle tissue to your frame. You know, I'll talk a little bit later on about how that's not something to be afraid of. Um, and in terms of uh, this emerging field that we term healthy aging, which is basically, so if, if you're looking at um, our population now versus 20 or 30 years ago, um, on average, it's considerably older than it used to be. So people are living longer. Um, so as a result, we have to keep in mind not only adding years to our life, but life to our years as the, the phrase goes. So basically, um, so that we're not overburdening the health system, we want to make sure that our elderly people are as healthy as possible. And one of the ways that we can do that is through lifelong exercise habits and resistance training plays a massive role within that. So like, for instance, if you're not doing some form of resistance training a few times a week, uh, you're more susceptible to what's termed sarcopenia, which is the age-associated loss of muscle mass and strength. Uh, it's going to happen anyway as you get older, but you can substantially slow the decline of it with regular resistance training. Um, in addition to that, so we're talking about maintaining muscle and strength as we age. Um, we'll also maintain muscle health, so things like... Um, glucose disposal. So if you think of like type two diabetics who have a, a poor time uh, regulating um, uh, glucose management in the body, uh, strength training uh, provides a like an insulin insulin like effect, whereby uh, it makes the muscles more. Uh, how would you phrase it? Um, receptive to carbohydrate so when you exercise you burn energy and the muscle wants to replenish that so by uh, resistance training you
improve uh, bone mineral density, things like that. that. So there's, there's benefits from a bone health standpoint and also mental health as well. And just as a sort of a fun fact, <laughs> if you like, um, one of the nice things about uh, resistance training for mental health benefits, and this is something that um, a friend and colleague of mine has been studying for his PhD, and one of the things that he found with the, the research that he was looking at was that the, the mental health benefits of regular resistance training are not intensity uh, dependent. And so what I mean by that is that you don't need to train very hard to get the mental health benefits. And I, I always found that funny that he found that because if you ever watch this lad training in the gym, uh, there's no danger of him overtraining. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from a mental health standpoint, um, it's more important that you're doing something and the, the intensity of it is, is less important. Um, I'm sort of saying a lot and I don't know if I'm answering your question at all there. No, you are, you are hundred <laughs> um, percent. No, that does. And like you've listed out probably five or six uh, benefits of resistance training. And I've, I went through one or two papers today and there's another four or five we go through and you know, mm -hmm. they do, they do kind of, they zone in on certain populations. Like you were saying about um, like diabetics and there's, there's, there's areas where it improves someone with arthritis and, and certain different conditions so i can get very specific but from a general point of view um the the benefits of resistance training are huge yeah and i and i think it's probably worth mentioning that myself and arthur are going to be a little bit biased towards resistance training as we are both advocates of it but i mm -hmm. would agree wholeheartedly with him that um cardiovascular training of some degree is is important i'd argue that's important for nearly everybody of of some sort um but definitely somebody starting off on their exercise uh, journey or a change to their lifestyle, I would definitely look to incorporate. It's probably the thing I'd, I'd incorporate first um, because it's, it's the simplest. And as you said, just, just simply a walk would probably would get most people started. And, yeah. you know, it, it, you, don't take, you don't need a gym membership or you don't need a coach or you don't need, you know, an outlandish amount of equipment or anything like that. You need a pair of runners and, you know, 15 minutes where it doesn't rain. That's all you really need. And if you get that, you've, you've got to start on it, you know. And then, as you said, when you merge the two together, you do get a real good, um, I suppose, like cohesive approach to being healthy as opposed to just overly focusing on one. And I suppose as time goes on, a person will, as you say, they will, they will venture into one avenue a bit more than the other. Mm. But... In my opinion, uh, and just to hear your thoughts, I think aspects of both should be you know, prevalent throughout, regardless if you're focusing on strength. And it doesn't mean you totally ignore cardiovascular. And similarly, if you have a cardiovascular focus, you don't ignore the strength side of things. So, like, we have one or two people that use our, our facility and they're marathon runners. Um, but likewise, you would see powerlifters that can use our facility. And they will go on long walks. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not so much isolating either or. It's it's a blending of the two. Would you would you agree with that, Arthur? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's funny that you give those two exact examples because they are the complete opposite ends of the endurance to maximal strength spectrum. Um, and it, it might surprise a lot of people to hear that 
uh, strength training, even though intuitively you might not think it, is actually quite beneficial for endurance athletes. Um, because, you know, you, you're inclined to think, oh, well, strength training, that's going to make you slower. It's going to add muscle, all that stuff. That's not what I want uh, if I'm an endurance athlete because, um, you know, uh, those, those sort of adaptations aren't uh, beneficial to me. But uh, believe it or not, they actually are. And there's a lot of literature to, to support that. And um, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Beady, um, who uh, was a PhD student, in UL before me uh, that's what his research was was uh, was based on he was looking at um, the benefits of strength training in endurance athletes and um, one of his papers I think it was like the most it was like the most shared on like Twitter and various different forms of social media around at the time like 2016 ish um, from the university which was kind of cool you know so it was good to know that that research was was getting shared around and uh, people were we're finding out about it. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned as well was, was cardiovascular training for like a, a power lifter. Um, there's a few different schools of thought on this. I know Greg Knuckles advocates uh, cardio for, for power lifters and, and that. Um, I, I haven't gone so far as to like actually prescribe, you know, like a 15 minute cycle or, or jog or whatever for a, for a power lifter. But I think definitely, yeah, I think low intensity stuff uh, can be quite beneficial. So walking, um, stationary bike, things like that. Um, it, it is a case of whether or not they're actually going to bother doing it, though, you know, in, in reality. Um, there is a, an interesting thing within within the research called the, the interference effect, which is basically, so if you think of those two things of endurance and strength as being conflicting adaptations do you know what i mean um at one point they will interfere with one another so if you were looking to maximize your strength the more endurance activity you would add into your training uh, beyond a certain point more interference you'd have with your your strength gains now obviously that's dose dependent and i don't want to scare people into thinking that if they go out for a jog for five minutes <laughs> that they're going to hamper their strength gains. It doesn't quite work like that. It's not an all or nothing sort of thing. It's a, it's a dose dependent response. So after a certain point, uh, more endurance training will cause an interference with your, your strength gains. Um, forget why I even brought that up, but anyway, <laughs> it's just something I find interesting. Um, but anyway, you, you're, you're not risking that interference with, a little bit of low intensity cardio. So like you were saying, you, you'd advocate uh, both modalities of, of training for basically everyone. And I would tend to go along with that. I mean, just because if you think about it, even if we are athletes, we're humans first. So we need to be healthy and we need to be in good health to be able to perform at our best. So if we take care of the health side of things, then it'll be easier for the performance side of things to, to fall into place. Because if you're not healthy, you're not going to be functioning optimally and you're not going to be performing at your best. So you need to take care of the health side of things as well. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And I think when, when you do, when someone gets really competitive with themselves and whether it be from an endurance point of view or from a strength point of view, they can kind of forget about the other side of it. And as you said, 
the health kind of, which is supposed to be the overall idea, can sometimes get a little bit um, hazed and sometimes might come against you. Okay, so I think having an a definitely an eye on both. There's going to be, there's, depending on the person, there's going to be times where you're going to overly focus on one over the other. But, mm. but at least having that understanding that they both work together and they don't work against each other. And when you were talking about um, the confliction between uh, mm-hmm. an endurance type of exercise and a strength-based exercise, and that is that is common. And I can actually remember myself like trying to play maybe not as much an endurance sport, but you know a field sport like hurling or rugby, and trying to weight train something which I'm sure you can relate to as well, Arthur. Trying to, to merge both of them is even quite difficult. And yeah. hurling wouldn't even be on the would be probably be about halfway along that along that curve so if you were trying to merge long distance running and heavy or you know specializing in weight training um it would be quite it would be quite difficult so i think probably to sum up if you're a beginner look to bring the two of them on together mm-hmm. and as your likes i suppose and your lifestyle agree to then maybe specialize in one but if a person just wants to be healthy I think bring the two of them together and, 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 and you know, train them adequately and, and, you know, equally, I suppose. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so I suppose if someone's listening to this and they're, they've had musings about getting into some sort of structured exercise and they haven't any experience of it beforehand and they're, they're wondering where to start. Uh, like I was saying earlier on, start small, uh, make make small changes that can be that are attainable and sustainable for you so for instance you might start with um, a brisk walk two or three days a week uh, and in addition to that you might start your resistance training once to twice per week for half an hour 45 minutes and start with the absolute basics you know uh, if it's for instance if you've never weight trained before some basic body weight exercises just to get the hang of technique things like squatting lunging hip hinging uh supplemented then with maybe something like uh, some light uh, uh free weight based exercises so something like a a push type pattern that could be in the form of a barbell or a dumbbell and some kind of a pull pattern again could be dumbbell barbell could be like a lat pull down machine uh, it could be a chest supported row, um, w- wherever is appropriate for you based on your level. And obviously if you are smart and you go to someone like Dara and they can show you what to do. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you, for instance, if you don't have the money or you don't have, uh, if you're not living near where Dara is, or you've no way of communicating with them, that would be a decent place to start. So, so start with the basics, start small, um, get something in the way of a push pattern, a pull pattern, a lower body squatting type pattern, and a, a hinging pattern. And what I mean by that is that you're moving through predominantly through your hips and a little bit through your knees as well as you maintain a neutral spine. So if you imagine like uh, as you sort of bend forward, uh, some sort of a load, maybe you're holding onto a barbell or a kettlebell or a dumbbell or something, moving through the hip joint with a straight back, not just waving at you here <laughs> and then extending again through the hip. So hopefully that image can sort of make um, sense for you. 
I could just not be a lazy bastard and stand up and actually show you what I mean. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that, that makes sense. No, I get it. And um, the reason Arthur is putting like a squatting pattern and a hinging pattern and a pushing and a pulling is just to ensure we've balanced throughout the body. Um, I know I, for one, as a young, as a young male in a gym, uh, predominantly focus on pushing patterns because they tend to be on the front of our body um, yeah. and neglected the stuff on the back. And I think that's probably a common enough thing to happen, especially with, with lads. Um, but mm. just to sum it up, he was the, the purpose for that is that we have balance front to back and left to right. And probably to add in on that, as someone progresses and to start putting more like, like bilateral movements or unilateral movements and so mm. on. Um, but yeah. I would I, second everything you says there with regards to basics as body weight and then multi multi joint compound movements yeah. get really good at those and then it's easy to progress them on and probably the most important thing is just to assess where you are first mm. and and that could apply to someone who's training two or three years and has seen a slump in their training just assess where you're at and how can I progress it if someone goes from never doing anything to jumping into, I don't know, a very advanced program they find on the internet, it can be extremely stressful and probably injury provoking. Whereas if someone just assesses where they are at right now, honestly, it's probably, um, it's an easy enough path to go along. It's actually not overly complicated. <laughs> no. Um, so one thing I want to add on to what I was saying earlier on, um, just to kind of uh, give a bit more context for why I would, I suppose, advocate those movements to start and I suppose it's to do with training efficiency. If you're starting off and wanting to make a small change to you're basically going from absolutely nothing to something, uh, you want to pick exercises that are going to give you more, uh, apart the, the cliche, but bang for your buck. Mm. So when you use things like uh, pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging movements, uh, you're, you're, moving through multiple joints simultaneously. So as a result, you're working more muscle groups simultaneously. So per unit of time, you're, you're training more muscle. Uh, so it's more efficient rather than if you were to train all those muscles individually with isolation type movements. Um, not that there's anything wrong with those, but if you're looking to do the bare bones and just uh, getting started in the whole thing, sticking to basic compound exercises is probably a good idea um and then the other thing then as well was um for someone who's been kind of training a few years and they're kind of stuck in a bit of a rut uh yeah you see this a lot with people that they will just get into uh, they'll get into a kind of a state where they're sort of doing the same thing over and over and over again like i've seen like i've trained in commercial gyms for many different years and i have seen some of the same people coming back year on year doing the exact same thing that they were five, six, seven, eight years ago, looking the exact same uh, and lifting the same, you know, just like, and maybe that's fine. Maybe they'll, all they want to do is maintain and they're content. And it's, it's no big deal for them. But to me, that didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, uh, if you're going to invest this much time into something, would you not want to make sure you're doing it as effectively as you can and try to get better at it over time? That doesn't mean every time you go into the, to the gym or every every new week you need to be lifting more or doing more reps not saying that at all but over time there should be some progression there um because over time you will adapt and what was a difficult stimulus for you previously 
will eventually become something that you have adapted to and it's no longer the case. So you need to progress the stimulus to, um, in order to you know, provide that, that stimulus for the body to, to create the response which causes a further adaptation so that you continue to get better. Um, and yeah, and I suppose if you're in that position when you've, you're kind of stuck in a rut and haven't made any progress in a while, the best thing would be to uh, enlist the, the help of a qualified professional, someone like Dara, who they'll, they'll be able to kind of have a look in from the outside and see maybe where you're going wrong. Um, maybe it's just a case of something needs to be changed, changed up. Maybe you're doing too much and you know you can't recover from what you're doing, or maybe you're not doing enough um, and you need to add a little bit more intensity or a little bit more volume. And I should probably clarify for people when I'm using these words like frequency, intensity, volume, I should probably define what they are. So intensity isn't necessarily how hard you are working. Um, intensity means how hard you are working relative to a predefined maximum. So that would be, for example, we would use a percentage of your one repetition maximum. So you take the most amount of weight that you can lift on a particular exercise and we would prescribe a percentage of that for a particular training session. So it might be, let's say if your max uh, squat was 100 kilos and we prescribe 70% of your 100 kilo squat for sets of six repetitions. So that's 70% uh, of your one RM for sets of six um, you could also use a repetition maximum. So you might have, for example, a five repetition maximum um, and you're going to do uh, sets of three with your five repetition maximum or something like that, you know. Um, then volume is, well, the easiest way to, to think of it is the load in kilograms or pounds times the number of sets times the number of repetitions of whatever exercise you're doing. And that's how you, you, you calculate volume load. So it's, uh, it's in, obviously it's in arbitrary units because sets and reps are, are um, unitless. Um, then the last thing then is frequency. So is how often you're training either a particular muscle group, a particular movement pattern, um, or even just in general per unit of time. So usually we'll use like a week. So for instance, you might be training your back squat twice a week. So that's a frequency of twice per week. Um, or you might be uh, weight training in general five times per week. So that would be you know, the frequency there. Um, so again, I've gone down a rabbit hole and I forgot what the <laughs> question was. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I think um, we were just focusing on how or not even how, yeah, but I suppose how a person could get started. And yeah. like you were saying, if a person has never done anything before, their stimulus is very small. Um, whereas a person is three years down the line of doing the same program every week, mm. then you have to go and look at the variables that like you were speaking and look to play around with them. And as you spoke about, any coach um, who's qualified will be able to play around with them and provide a new stimulus or adaptation for the body. So... But it, the, the, over, the, the main concept is you want to provide a stimulus that the body can adapt to. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. for anyone listening, that's, that's starting off, the, 
your your level of stimulus is going to be very small. It's going to be very different to somebody who's training three, four, or five years. Okay, so it's very yeah. in, individual to that. The movements and so on they overlap an awful lot from people from person to person, but the main concept kind of stays the same. I'm trying to create a stimulus when I train. Arthur is, you know, everyone is trying to do the same thing. Um, it's just the goal post move um, every now and again. Mm-hmm. That's all. So with regards recommendations for starting off, as you said, Arthur, one session a week with regards resistance training for somebody that's never trained. Um, but I suppose over time, we'll be looking for them to work up to maybe two sessions, three sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, my own rule of thumb with it is, a person just wants to be healthier and they enjoy training. I would look for them to maybe getting three resistance training sessions in a week and whole body sessions. Like it's really that simple. And as you were saying, having full body compound movements and plug in a couple of unilateral movements, core movements and balance that off with the rest of their training and lifestyle. Would you agree with that? Or is there anything else you'd add in to change or where do you stand with that after? I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, for general health purposes three times per week is is probably the sweet spot i think going beyond that there probably isn't much additional benefit if any um if you're someone like myself or yourself dara we our our main thing is our strength training and we enjoy doing it so we would have a higher frequency there because it's basically our sport and but for someone who's just doing it just for health purposes two to three times per week is is probably the sweet spot so i mean if if someone was only getting two times uh two sessions per week i wouldn't be losing any, any sleep over it, but but three would be nice um full body uh there's obvious advantages to that because you know let's say for example if you happen to miss a day uh you know you can just do it another day and it's no no big deal because you trained those muscles a couple of days ago um and uh you know you're you're providing a more potent stimulus that way rather than if you were to split it up into like a body part split where maybe you might do your upper body pressing muscles one day and your upper body pulling muscles another day and your lower body another day that means the muscles are getting lower frequency of training so a full body uh, routine is a, is a good idea um, for most people um and the last thing then was um kind of forgot <laughs> sorry <laughs> i might have covered i think i think that was it actually yeah yeah i think we've we've covered a lot um as you said three sessions mm. is what somebody starting off is aiming for maybe in yeah three months six months nine months whatever it may be we'll all get our different speeds mm-hmm. um, but once you've gotten to three days three sessions a week and you're looking to kick on more I would say you probably moved, moved out of the bracket of general population and you're now like a strength training enthusiast, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You've now, you've now gone from the, the general kind of pool and you're now, if you're, if you're hitting four and five sessions a week, I would class you as a pretty serious trainer. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's the avenue I'd go down. Um, so yeah, that, that covers that covers the majority of what we wanted to chat about um, with regards you know, recommendations, what it is, just the general overlying principles to resistance training. Um, so if anyone is still a little bit unclear, make sure just because what's, what is clear to us sometimes can get lost with someone if, when you, if you're hearing it for the first time. And I think maybe something I forgot to kind of mention earlier on, and I'm sure Arthur will... 
um, agree that make sure what you're doing um, that you're enjoying it. I think that's the most one of the most important things. That if you don't like resistance training with a band, if you don't like resistance training with a barbell, you know, ask your coach to change it up a small bit, okay? Because it's much mm. easier to adhere to something you actually enjoy as opposed to adhering to something that you hate. So, for example, I, I coach one lady and she doesn't like the feeling of the bar on her back when she back squats. So that's fine. We'll just hold a goblet squat and we get, I'd go as far as saying 99% the same stimulus. Um, it's just one she enjoys and one she doesn't. So, no, it doesn't mean the training has to be easier. Every part of it, you're going around with a smile on your face. But you shouldn't be going, going, God, I absolutely hate this. I don't, I don't think it should be that. I think if you do hate it, sort of something around the something along the way has gone a, a bit misskewed. Um, that's my opinion on it anyway. There should be a considerable considerable amount of enjoyment to, towards your training. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So we've 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 come to our debunking of myths. Um, no, some of them aren't myths. They're just uh, terms I've heard and you know statements. But I'm, I'm calling them myths because they are myths. <laughs> no, uh, notions. <laughs> notions, exactly. <laughs> uh, and you know, if you hadn't, if someone wasn't educated around these, it's totally acceptable and understandable to perceive these statements this way. Okay. So I think the most most common is weight training or strength training resistance training however we want to term it um can make someone bulky and in particular females some mm. males will actually pursue a, a set amount of bulkiness that might be one of their goals but for the vast majority of women they don't want to become overly bulky could you provide just some context after on that statement and is there truth to it is is there is it false where does it lie yeah so you can get as as complicated or as uncomplicated as you like with this, but I think something that's important to consider is people's perceptions, uh, because that term vague, that term uh, bulky is inherently vague. So, like for instance, um, to give you an example of this, like uh, back when I used to work in the UL Arena, you know, I could be working behind the desk there, and every so often you get someone would come up looking for a program or something. And, you know, the first thing you'd say to them is like, so what would be your goals and what is it you want to, to train for? And, you know, you, you every so often you'd, you'd get these very petite individuals, um, female obviously who would uh, be inquiring about a program and I'd be asking, you know, what, what would be your goals? And then say, Oh, I'd like to lose two stone. And I'd immediately look at them and I'd be like, from where your bones <laughs> you know um so like what i might consider bulky and what someone else might consider bulky could be two completely different things but if we were to use the example of a oh i could land myself in trouble here now but let's just say we use the example of a female bodybuilder who uh has built their physique through dedication and hard training and supplemented it with some, uh, some chemistry, shall we say. Um, th that is a completely different context to someone who's just doing some general weight training a few times a week. And when 
the person doing the more general training a few times a week is at the point where they feel they are getting too bulky, all they need to do is just tone back a little bit. And I don't mean as in toning, because uh, I fucking hate that term, but uh, as in like just reduce the amount of volume of uh, weight training that they're doing, you know, if it was ever a concern for them. So it's not like they'll set foot in the gym and instantly be like, oh, holy crap, I got fucking jacked just by being, being in here. That's not how it works, you know. So um, to get too bulky, you're obviously going to have to do a certain amount of training to get there, firstly. Now let's talk about the, the actual likelihood that that's going to happen in the first place. Um, uh, very unlikely is the, is the answer. Because obviously, um, if we take a male or an, a, a chemically enhanced female, they now have a hormonal profile that's completely different from a regular female. Um, to the point where even given a same, you know, the same relative stimulus of weight training, they're not going to look the same as an enhanced female or a male individual will. Um, so they will grow muscle 100%, but the look will be completely different and it won't be a bulky or masculine type look. Yeah. Does that um, answer the question? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's just, just to pivot off that a tiny bit. Um, if, and we will just say, for example, that this, I know I don't, I'm not a fan of the word toning as well, but mm. with that term is quite, is used quite a lot. More often than not, it's for someone to tone up or change their, how they look aesthetically. It's less about the modality of resistance training and probably more about their nutrition and maybe some other factors. But yeah. So, for example, if someone did a rigorous um, resistance program versus doing a very moderate one, if the diet is off, the person is still going to isn't necessarily going to tone up. Whereas if their diet is really intuitive to someone uh, losing body fat or whatever it may be, that either program will probably get them there. Would... Yeah, I, I think I think you're I think you're bang on there. Like if someone is uh, thinks that they need to tone up more often than not, it means that they need to lose a little bit of body fat and gain a little bit of, of muscle tissue. The only way you'll tone a muscle or you know, improve its shape is by making it bigger. Muscle can only get bigger or, or smaller or stay the same. Do you know what I mean? So um, you can either reduce body fat um, and or uh, increase your, your amount of, of muscle mass. And that will create the toning effect in inverted commas that 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 um, someone might be looking for. Um, I was about to say women, but I, I'm I'm sure there's a few men that are looking to do that as well. So yeah, it's fifty fifty. That's, that's effectively yeah. That's that's what you need to do. So you're looking at um, improving your body composition through through weight training and making dietary improvements as well. So you you more than likely need to be in a deficit um, to reduce so that you can reduce the, the level of body fat there to create the, the look that you're, that you're aiming for. Yeah, and just to, just to add one last bit onto that, I think when, when people come and they want to change uh, how they look, why I'm such a big advocate of resistance training over um, cardiovascular, or just say, for example, running, is because what Arthur just said, that resistance training can change the shape and size or the size particularly of a, of a set muscle whereas 
um, something more aerobic based doesn't really do that. Okay. So for someone looking to drop body fat or change how they look, resistance, uh, resistance training along with a, a sensible diet tree approach will give them that. So yeah. the idea of it making them bulky, when I hear it, I think that's the exact opposite of what potentially a sensible programming or sensible um, outline to your exercise yeah. life can do. Yeah, actually, and, and one thing I might add as well on the, the, the question about will, will lifting weights make me bulky question, um, another way you could protect against that is just don't be in, a, don't be in an excessive calorie surplus because the actual knitting together of new muscle tissue is an energy expensive uh, process. And if that energy surplus isn't there to create the bulky muscle, Mm-hmm. Well, then it's not going to happen. So just eating at maintenance um, is, is probably a good recommendation there. If if I hadn't already convinced you that it's not going to happen. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's brilliant, Arthur. Um, yeah, and like definitely over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to get someone on, we're going to chat on nutrition. And so nutrition is, is a big component of that. When someone wants to both play around with how they, how they look aesthetically, nutrition and both your uh, your resistance program will be massive points to that. Okay. So again, the next one kind of leads into that after um, this idea of doing a lot of abdominal exercises, but seeing no change or the idea that men and women want to do movements and they, they expect to see a result on it instantaneously. Mm. So would you agree that this comes back to the idea of the body fat being probably too high? Yeah, and it's likely to do with distribution as well. So particularly if you're a male and you have a more, uh, well, could be male or female, but let's just say that you have a very central body fat distribution. Um, like myself, for instance, I, I tend to have quite lean limbs. So my arms and legs are quite lean and that the majority of my body fat is stored centrally. So around the, the stomach area. So I could do sit-ups and planks and wheel rollouts and various other abdominal type exercises till the cows come home. Um, but if there's too much body fat there, uh, they're not going to be visible. So the strategy that you need to use there is to create a, a deficit, ideally through a combination of uh, calorie restriction, you know, your, your intake, and also a increase in your expenditure. And that can come from a combination of cardiovascular and resistance type exercise to burn extra calories so that uh, you create a deficit to uh, reduce the, the, the level of body fat. Um, now, the point at which you're going to see visible abdominal definition, you're going to have to get considerably lean, you know, and depending on how your body fat is distributed. So if you had, for instance, if you were, if it was more evenly distributed, then you might need to get to the same body fat percentage to see visible abdominal definition compared to someone who had a a more uh, central sort of body fat distribution, if that sort of makes sense. So it's about reducing the body fat there first so that the abs can be visible. And then, you know, provided you've been training them, they're going to look more impressive if you have been, uh, training them as well, you know. And 
I think that, but like, we're not saying that like abdominal or trunk exercises are they should be part of everyone's program. But that's not the that's not the idea mm-hmm. here. But just doing them and expecting them to get bigger and more visible is um, probably a bit misleading because as you know, as Arthur kind of said that you need to have a certain amount of body fat for those muscles to be to be prominent. Mm-hmm. And and just before we move on, Arthur, this idea of like spot fat reduction. Have you heard that term before? Are you familiar with it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is my understanding is there's there's no truth to it, but I'd like to hear yeah, it. Yeah, so so uh, there's kind of been a bit of over and back on this. So it's gone from uh, that's an absolutely ridiculous notion. How dare you even suggest such a thing? To oh wait a minute, there might be something there. To ah right, there might be something there, but it's so so minuscule that it's like uh, not even worth worrying about. So um, you you. Your best bet is to take it as it it basically doesn't happen. It's to such a small amount that it's not even going to matter. So, for instance, the 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 notion, if you like, being uh, if I do hundreds of ab crunches and sit ups and uh, those types of exercises, that I will get a six pack because I'll be burning energy close to the the area that I'm trying to reduce body fat from. Uh, body fat doesn't work like that. Uh, your your body will just take it from wherever it chooses, and you don't have a a say over where it comes from. More often than not, the more central locations tend to be the the last place that it will it will come from. So it can start from more distally, so f- further away from the, the the sort of midline of the body, and then move more centrally as your body fat levels decrease. Okay. Yeah, that's. Again, that is a common one that people want set areas to look more lean than other areas. And it's probably the opposite of the way the body works. The one really cares how their fingers look, but they care enough about how they're from the mid from the midline out to your rib cage, how that looks. So and, and I think I could be wrong, but I think um I think Charles Pollock and um had the idea of that you could reduce I don't know how uh, I don't know, I'm not too educated on it, but mm. that the idea that you could that certain parts of the body were related to certain hormones and so on. It's probably a little bit complex. And again, I don't know how, um, how yeah. research backed it was as such. Um, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll preface this by saying, may the man rest in peace and uh, don't speak yeah. ill of the dead. Mm-hmm. But um, to, to be perfectly honest with you, a lot of what Charles Poliquin was peddling was, was absolute horseshit. Uh, <laughs> so he used to, basically say that he could he could tell uh you know what mineral or vitamin you could be deficient in based on where your body fat was distributed so for instance if you had more uh tricep tricep um, tricep or subscapular fat that it was like a magnesium deficiency Mm -hmm. you know uh, this kind of thing and lo and behold he had the solution being his super expensive supplements um yeah, so so like a lot of what Charles Poliquin uh, and guys like that would be, or would have been, because of course he's dead now, <laughs> advocating was actively harmful, and it was in, incorrect as well. So yeah, you you can't you can't tell someone's hormonal profile based on their body fat distribution to to the way that he was um, describing it. 
I'm sure an endocrinologist would be able to uh, tell you more on that. I, I actually don't know. But all I know is what, what Charles was saying was not correct. Okay. My thoughts exactly. Okay. So we've got, we've one last question after. Okay. Um, and again, it's a common one for anyone in the, the strength training realm, but particularly someone starting off. And I feel it could be something that may, um, unless educated, could actually put them off. It's the soreness that they feel in the two and three days after training. Mm. Um, people, okay, so two trails of thoughts in this. Um, number one being certain people believe they need to be feeling that level of pain. Mm. And number and number two, the other trail of thought being that this this soreness is is it is it a negative? Is it am I after causing damage as such? That's the that's the one. Um, and I'm sure you'll answer the damage in the you know. But so yeah, yeah so those trails of thought. Number one, the type of person that feels they need to be in pain or they're not training, no pain, no gain, so to speak. And number two type of person who's overly worried around the, the feeling of pain um right so i suppose I'll, I'll start this off by kind of explaining what doms are so doms or delayed onset muscle soreness is basically the it's a response to uh well it can it can come from cardiovascular type exercise as well but um it's more commonly associated with resistance type exercise so it's the soreness you get in the days following training um it's generally believed that it's more associated with the the eccentric or lengthening portion of the of of a of a lift so if you imagine like a bicep curl for instance so you'd have uh two portions to to that movement so you'd have the point where you're you're lifting the weight up towards your shoulder that would be your concentric or the shortening of the muscle and then the eccentric or the lowering portion of the muscle as you um, lower the dumbbell back down again. So it's the eccentric or the lowering portion where the, the, the fibers are basically being stretched under load and uh, that, that's responsible for the, the, uh, the late onset muscle soreness that you get following training. It's because when, you, when you're lifting weights and when you're lowering weights um, or if you're lengthening the muscle under load, you're creating what's termed microtrauma. So little tiny microscopic levels of, of uh, muscle damage uh, you know, within the fibers. And then that's, that leads to the soreness that you get in the days following, following training. Um, so if someone, we'll talk about the person craving it initially. Uh, so if someone, or sorry, I'll talk about the person um, who's deterred by it initially. So if they're thinking, uh, oh, wow, when I did that weight training, I got really, really sore. I should stay well clear of that. Um, that's actually the exact opposite approach that you should have to it. Because what protects you against DOMS is what's termed the repeated bout effect. So basically when you, you do the exercise and then you have this alarm response and then that's associated with a lot of soreness and then you can come back again and you don't get as sore as you did the previous time. And the reason being is because your, your body has created an adaptation to that, um, 
initial stimulus and it says holy shit that that was really hard and that made us really really sore we better upregulate our defenses against that so that uh, we don't get a sore again in future um, and that's basically what happens so over time then uh, your body becomes better at doing that and that's why if you've ever played around with higher frequency training protocols you actually get to the point where you're basically hardly ever sore because your body just gets so much more efficient at, at that process and the repeated bout effect is is so much more frequent now that's not a license to say you should be training the same muscle pattern every day or twice a day um, there's obviously a, a point of diminishing returns there but if you've if you've ever messed around with like training um a pattern a muscle muscle group or a, a movement pattern two three four times a week you'll notice that you actually tend to get less sore compared to training it like once per week um so in that instance of someone who's maybe experiencing doms for the first few times and they're a little bit concerned by it um number one it's totally normal and it's not an injury it's uh, something that's completely normal as a response to unaccustomed uh, exercise, in particular the, the eccentric portion of the, the lift. And in some sort of classical muscle physiology studies where they, they would deliberately use like eccentrically biased training protocols or what they're referred to as. So they'd have maximal effort eccentric contractions under load and they would like purposely damage the muscle just to see the physiological response to the the damaging exercise but the problem was it was like that research has very little applicability to what you or i do because even a really hard session that you or i do or that a typical client would do um the level of muscle damage that we'll create from that will be still only a fraction of what would be caused in the um eccentrically biased type of exercise and that that stuff is useful and and interesting to understand mechanisms behind things and you can see the the immune response to all that and the inflammation caused from it um acutely things like that but in terms of relevance to what we're doing it doesn't it doesn't carry much um so then yeah so the the other thing then to bear in mind is that uh the best way to protect yourself against doms is to keep keep up the training and to not i suppose if you think of like the analogy of the the painter on a ladder uh not to not to reach out too far or you'll you'll basically fall off mm-hmm. <laughs> so don't don't try to do too much too soon so build up slowly so you know try and just provide the absolute minimum effective stimulus that you you can initially and then build that up over time and you build up your resilience to um the the potential for delayed onset muscle soreness now you might always experience a little bit of it but it, it won't be that substantial the other side of things then is the the person who craves delayed onset muscle soreness because they think okay if i make myself really sore um that means i've, I've really worked the muscle hard so i'm gonna grow more muscle as a result uh, if I was to give you an analogy, uh, an analogy, let's just say if I notice that when I am really tired, I do really well in exams. So by that logic, if if I um, 
if I'm really tired or if I make myself really tired, um, I'll be smarter or I'll do better in tests. So I'll deliberately sleep deprive myself. And then I realize after a while that that's really fucking stupid. And it turns out mm -hmm. that the reason I was doing so well in exams was because I was studying really hard and that by extension made me really tired. So the tiredness was associated with the good exam results, but it wasn't causative. It's a similar kind of thing here. So delayed onset muscle soreness can be associated with muscle growth, but it's not necessarily causative. And particularly, so soreness and muscle damage aren't necessarily the same thing and their time courses are slightly different. Um, so, so one, they're not interchangeable, but even with muscle damage, um, that's come in for a lot of criticism in the last few years in the literature. Um, and basically, the, the importance that it was thought to have for muscle growth is not quite what it, what it used to be. And it's, it's actually thought now that it's not really that predictive of muscle growth whatsoever. Um, compared to, say, mechanical tension or um, uh, metabolic stress. Um, I don't need to get into those right now. I can later on if you want me to, but I'm going to stick with DOMS for now. But anyway, so the person who's craving DOMS because they think they're going to grow more as a result of it um, needs to know that DOMS is associated with the muscle growth um, response, but it's not causative of it. So just training doing more and more training in the hope of making yourself more and more sore is not a good strategy because when you're, when you're more sore, you can't perform as well. And when you can't perform as well, you can't provide as good of a stimulus uh, for muscle growth. And it's also going to impede recovery as well. So what you really want to do is you want to stimulate, get out of the gym, uh, re replenish, you know, with, with, uh, with good nutrition, recover, adapt, stimulate again with another training session, get out of there, feed, recover, adapt, stimulate, and so on. Um, so actually, actually chasing soreness or like deliberately trying to get more sore is not a good strategy. If that, if, if growing more muscle is your, is your goal. Now, if you're just a masochist and you just like making yourself sore, then have at it. Well, that's yeah. a different that's a different story <laughs> and those people exist <laughs> yeah. um no that 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 explains it powerfully after and just to add on to that that if somebody is training and for some reason they've noticed hang on i'm not getting any doms of any degree it's probably worthwhile to chat to your coach or have a look at your training program and adapt or change something ever so slightly to provide something novel again and and like i said just rinse and repeat this process of you know looking for a certain training stimulus and the challenges the body mm. just just to be mindful um that there is an extreme version of doms i can't take a name offhand but it's essentially if you have it for more than i think it's like 10 days uh, it's if it is quite a serious case now most people don't two three four days and it's kind of clear but yeah. there is you yeah. can overdo it and you can there is an extreme version of it basically yeah. You might you might be referring to rhabdomyolysis. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, um, <coughs> this is where uh, CrossFit came in for a little bit of stick a few years back because um, 
there were a few, few reports of people having done really hard CrossFit workouts, which were just insane and ending up with rhabdo. Um, when you perform strenuous resistance exercise or, well, basically any exercise at all, um, you'll re- release a, a uh, marker or an, en- sorry, an enzyme from, uh, from the muscle called uh, creatine kinase. And under normal circumstances, if you're adapted to resistance training and you do a, a pretty hard session, say something like a five by five or three by 10, you know, something that's kind of typical of what people do in the gym, you'll, uh, you'll achieve um, creatine kylase levels of somewhere in the few hundreds kind of range. If you do something like what I was describing earlier on, like deliberate kind of exercise-induced muscle damage type work, so say like maximal effort eccentrics under load, um, then you might get creatine kinase levels maybe over a thousand or in the thousand-ish kind of range. Rhabdomyolysis, you're basically in the multiples of thousands. So it's where you've... Uh, really, really overly damaged the muscle, and you've released massive amounts of this marker of muscle damage, um, creatine kinase. And to to get to that level, you need to be doing just like absolute absurd amounts of of training, um, and either not be accustomed to it, or it's just a completely random and novel stimulus to you, <laughs> like something like CrossFit. Not to hate on those guys because. Those were a few isolated incidents, but um, that was some of the CrossFit naysayers kind of took that and ran with it as, as a kind of a, a reason not to do CrossFit. Um, but for instance, you'd be much less likely to get that with a more typical powerlifting training or general weight training where the, the volumes are so much lower. So it's where you provide like a, a really excessive amount of training volume. Um, there were a few reports of it in the army as well, because another thing that can make you a little bit more susceptible to it is if you're dehydrated, okay. you know, and it's, it's basically to put it bluntly, it's when you start pissing blood, Okay. you know? And I think with CrossFit too, you see you have, there's only so many strength focused squats you could do. Whereas CrossFit, you have Olympic movements, you've body weight movements and you've conditioning movements and you've a variety of different stuff. Mm. So you, I could understand or I could definitely could see how somebody could uh, push past that, that, that boundary. Um, yeah. And, that, and again, that, that's not to knock on CrossFit. And I know yeah. a lot of people who are CrossFit coaches and they're very responsible. And um, I actually like CrossFit and what it has done. And I think powerlifting um, has to thank CrossFit for a lot of what it's done the last few yeah. years. But definitely if you think like of a typical powerlifting type training, it would be far less likely to, cause uh <laughs> rhabdomyolysis compared to something like crossfit um you know if you think of like mad like fucking ten thousand kettlebell swings or like doing a thousand push-ups and just insane amounts of exercise or the, those kinds of things are what would be required to to cause that so for most people it's not even worth worrying about you can pretty much forget the last five minutes of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) as you said you would actually have to pretty much 10x your normal training session basically Um, even 100x you know so it's very unrealistic so in case you're ever worrying did i get to that point 
it's unrealistic. Two, three, four days. After four days, if it's starting to get worse, still maybe go and chat to someone. But for most people, you're not going to fall into that bracket. Yeah. Um, now, if you've just done a really hard training session that you were unaccustomed to, particularly with like the legs and that, it's quite possible you could be sore for a week. Yeah. But the, the likelihood that you have induced rhabdo is very, very, very slim. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Arthur, I think that's, that kind of has us. That has the, the bulk of what we wanted to go through. Um, yeah, pretty much everything. And I think that people will have a much clearer understanding on the basics of resistance training now, um, particularly if you are a beginner, but also if you're somebody in that mid-range and you're hitting a bit of a plateau right now, how you may kind of spruce it up to get that adaptation process working again. Okay, and we've, in fairness, Arthur has thoroughly went through the, the most common myths that I come across day to day, and I'm sure most other gym goers um, and gym owners uh, yeah. go through on a daily basis. So, and Sorry to cut across you, but I might just add there uh, very briefly onto that, um, because I know this was something that we were chatting about before we started recording. Just, just on the side of like the trainers that might be listening to this, yeah. you know, what's important to consider for you, for you is when you hear these, <coughs> we've turned the myths about training or frequently asked questions or these mm -hmm. notions people that have, um, it's important when someone asks you about these, not to sort of roll your eyes up and sort of say, oh, not this again, because, you know, what were frequently asked questions now were frequently asked questions I can guarantee you 10 years ago, you know, and there's always going to be someone who's new to this type of information that hasn't heard about how weight training actually won't make you bulky or how DOMS isn't what you should be. Um, it shouldn't be your primary outcome if your goal is uh, muscle growth. You know, there's, there's always going to be someone who hasn't heard about that. So it's important for us to be, considerate of that and not get kind of fed up when we get asked those questions you know um that that's that's probably one of the the hardest things is just to uh i think it was greg knuckles who kind of said that a few years back he was just like um you know the hardest thing for us is not finding the next big thing or the new kind of revolutionary sort of way of doing things it's about answering these same questions that we were getting five, 10 years ago, because there's always going to be a new, um, a new crop of people who haven't heard the answers to those questions. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, hundred yeah. percent. Um, in other words, just to, to educate your members and mm. most, most people that work one-on-one -on -one with someone will have ample time to do that anyway. So and everyone's available for it. When things get back rolling as normal, there will be, there are plenty of opportunities to explain that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Whether it be a class setting or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, so that is that has brought us to a uh, an ending. I think I think that after you have explained this extremely comprehensively, like I expected to be honest. But if anyone has any questions on anything we've we've covered so far, um, you can message me directly. Um, Darren Mulcahy or Raise the Bar Training Systems on Instagram and Facebook um, or you can message Arthur. Um, Arthur, I probably should have mentioned this at the start, is a podcast uh, owner. Uh, he runs his own podcast, the No Live Powerlifting Podcast, which is into his probably his second year, Arthur, I'd say. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll, be, we'll be three years now in July. So three I'm years in July. Yeah. So he, yeah, so he's a uh, 
he's well in tune to the podcast. But Arthur, where can people find you if they if they would like some more of your information? Yeah, so I mean, my main source of content at the moment is actually my podcast, and that's uh, we cover lots of different things because um, I, I have an awful time, hard time focusing on things and various different things interest me. So I'm just like, oh, let's just get a podcast and that <laughs> might not necessarily be relevant to to uh, what I probably should be covering. But it, we cover powerlifting uh, from athletes' perspectives, from coaching perspectives, research, um, general strength training, psychology, injury, nutrition, um, just because my interests are pretty broad and um, I like chatting about those, those kind of things. So that'd be my main source of content at the moment. So it's called the No Lift Podcast. So you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, um, or iTunes. Um, and then maybe if you have a follow-up question or if there's something that I said in this podcast that maybe didn't make sense with you or you want to query it in more detail, um, you can just email me. Uh, Arthur at citygymlk.com so that's uh, Arthur A-R-T-H-U-R at C-I-T-Y G-Y-M-L-K dot uh, com Okay, perfect Arthur um, so thank you for tuning in and we hope you found this uh, helpful and informative and from now on in you can make better decisions and you can in, you can help someone else along this journey as well. So thank you for tuning in and thank you to Arthur for giving up his time and for giving such a informative and educational hour and a half. Um, so thank you all and we shall see you all again soon. Okay. Uh, th- thanks again for having me, Derek. No problem. Thanks, Arthur. Cheers.